Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. Jesus and Paula showers. <laughs> I hope you can hear me. We're working out. Uh, I don't know what we're working out, but it's working. All right. And so welcome to this week's broadcast of the Jesus and Paula show. One week before TPTI, the Tulsa Prophetic Training Institute is literally around the corner. It's coming down the street. I can see it. It's barreling down on us like a big Mack truck. And we are, it is, and it's a full payload. I'm super excited about this year and what God is doing. We are in the embassy as our embassy. In November, we were here uh, just moving in and sliding in. But now in June, it is ours. Yeah. Yeah. Yours and ours. Is, and it is ours. And construction renovations, upgrades are still happening as we speak. Uh, if you... We're here in November, and you have not been here since. You will be surprised at what you see. So bring your camera and get ready for your selfies and your pictures and your check-ins and your posts um, because we are just going to go full-blown branding, all right? We want the whole world to know we are here. The importance of prophetic training. So, so, so very important because uh, through training, what you get a lot of is discipline, not just knowledge. And we think that training is for information only. Just give me the information, just give me the information, just give me the information. But training really, if it's done properly, teaches you discipline, discipline how you handle it. I remember being in prophets training with Dr. Price, and she would teach us about prophetic administration of our own prophetic, how you keep your dreams, your journal, your words, how you track what you have. Uh, She would always teach us that if the prophets of old did not write down what the Lord had said and had a, a custodial attitude toward it, we would not have the word as we know it right now. I mean, think about that. Because you can think that what you're doing is insignificant. You can think that it's not that deep. You can think God is speaking to me and it's for me in this time. But there are words that we're still standing on, words that have not come to fruition yet. Or how about this, words that seasonally or throughout the ages come back around. It's time for this word to be in play again. It's time for this to be in play again. If we think about it as in fashion, fashion has what trends seasons eras you can look at fashion and know what era it's representing and then they'll bring it forward with old is new again and all those other things and so likewise with the prophetic obviously the the prophetic is not doesn't follow trends it determines the trend which is why it's really unacceptable when a prophet is behind what's happening Now, sometimes you can be so ahead of what's happening that people will think you're out of touch. 
again, this is why you need the training to know. Is this somebody who is way off base, like, what are you even coming from? That's not God. Or is it somebody who God is using to ignite something new or something different that wasn't happening before? So training gives you those disciplines. I, uh, last week I pulled this journal off of a shelf in my office, unpacking so many boxes of things. And this is from 2012. Dr. Price gave a prophecy. Well, I'm sure she gave many prophecies in 2012, but this one happens to be in my journal. In February 26, 2012, and it's, I wrote Time Check Prophecy. And it's a prophecy about the times. And she she said that things come down, uh, excuse me, things come when you, let me see, when you do wisdom, people are going to be stunned by God. So in 2012, she was prophesying a lot of what we've seen manifesting in these last several years. Now, just because something is manifesting does not mean that's when it started. In fact, we can now trace back This agenda has been going on since, and this agenda has been going on since, and this agenda has been going on, and, oh, okay, so this person and that person, they've been in alliances with each other building this hot mess since the early 80s. But 2020 is the year that makes the news. 2020, the year of. But the decades that it took, and then this crew picked up on something that's been in place since the turn of the century, late 1800s, early 1900s. And then that was in place. And so each generation is picking up their piece. So by the time we get to manifestation, to us, it's headline news. But to those behind the scenes, it's just time. It's about time. And so the training teaches you the discipline that comes with the office, the discipline that comes with the mantleship, the discipline that you have to use. How many of us know people who, when they are in their element, I mean, we'll say in the world, in their element, but for the purposes of who we are, when they're in their office, when they're in their mantle, brilliant. I mean, brilliant. Boy, they can prophesy the third coming of Jesus. How many times is Jesus coming? I see him coming again. I see the rebuilding of the planet. You have people that can go, 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 go prophetically. They can lay it down apostolically. Maybe if they're a teacher, boy, they can teach. They step out of that, and you're like, what happened? Who are you? How are you so brilliant in this place and so off over here? Teaching, training, discipline helps bring that together. So you're not flipping on and off a switch within yourself to be who you are. You have been converted into what God has called you to do. We've seen it. We call it two-faced. We call it double standard. We call it split personality. I mean, it depends on just how deep you go. But the training process is to expose all of that. I mean, how many of us thought we were really brilliant? In high school, brilliant. We all know the brilliant rock star. Go to a top-tier college and you feel stupid. Right. You, you graduated high school, valedictorian, scholarships coming out of your ears. I, had a, I went to high school with a kid. He went to Harvard. He was the hometown hero, all this kind of stuff. After his first year, he came back and said, I feel so stupid because everybody's brilliant in Harvard. That's what makes Harvard, Harvard. 
And it's not until you get into one of those top-tier training programs or environments, wherever you are, you may have been a rock star in your world. But then you come into a greater world where the officers are and not just those playing in the gift, and you find out whether you really have it or not. Now, he ended up doing fine, but he had to adjust to being nobody in the big arena of Harvard University. He said, because everybody is brilliant there. Nobody cares that I'm smart because everybody's smart. Right. <laughs> and when you meet God's greatness in the kingdom, and you're used to being big in your own eyes or in your own world, that's why a lot of people don't go to school. That's why many people don't want their gift training. They don't want to be exposed for not being ready, for not being everything that the Lord needs you to be. We always like to use Peter now. As our example, Pete, Pete, did Pete ever convert? But, man, could he preach you? Those, those epistles hurt you bad. Today, Peter can get you like, ooh. But Peter was still, where, where's Peter? Where is Pete? Where, we're having a meeting. Where is he? He's off in the thing. He's off acting like Gentiles. He's doing whatever. But, boy, could he lay that revelation down. And so that training works that in. Dr. Price said in 2012, we will not know how to act in this new dispensation. She said, we're going to find out what sovereignty means to God. Now think about what we've just lived. Think about what we've encountered globally. We have discovered what the global sovereign hand of God looks like. Because weren't we just operating in his grace and his love? It's, well, you, you just loving on somebody. It's just warm and fuzzy. Now, now God says that he chases those he loves. So, but we us just skip over part of the word. We just skip over that. Uh, we're, we're using um, the Cupid love when we're talking about God's love, that romance love. But Jesus, where are my roses? Where is my chocolate? Where, where's my five-star dinner and my candlelight, Jesus? Where's that? I'm not feeling loved by the Lord right now. But whenever he breaks down how he shows love, he can bring a little bit of pain with it. But it's to save you from a greater pain called hell. Come on now. Come on. It's to save you from an eternal destination of damnation. That's why his love, his, his chastening leads you to a different destination. The way we preach the love of God is to just encourage people right on into hell and to feel good doing it. Just don't let that, that, that condemnation, therefore, there is no, I mean, come on. We just misquote, misapply, half quote, all of it, and then just lead people right down a pathway of destruction. She said change is on us, and, and growing up is going to happen, even in our sleep. God is switching our hearts and souls. God is replenishing. She said new, in quotes, new is going to be the buzzword of the hour. And where are we right now? It's the new normal. It's the new way. It's the new day. Now you're hearing people say new era. Dr. Price has been saying new era since this, actually before this, because she rolled out new era in, what, 2005 maybe? For the new era apostleship. Like new era is that old with her, and the world is just getting caught up. She said, some through relationships, others through calamity. We will learn the sovereignty of God. We are about to have an equal opportunity in the kingdom. Yes. That was in 2012, and it took years to play out, but played out it has. So now we have that fresh opportunity. We have new things going on. Last year was a reset. 
How? When did she start prophesying? Hard reset. Hard reset. God's going to do a hard reset. 2017, hard reset. Woo, were we reset in the hard way last year? I would say that was a hard reset, the hard upset. Oh, my goodness. That was the upset. Bless God. Like, what happened in the kingdom? What happened in the church? What happened in the world? What's still happening? People still on lockdown in their cities, locked down in their countries, can't go anywhere, can't go to the restaurants, to the shops, to whatever. We've been open and free here so long, I forget there's still oppression happening in a major way across <laughs> across the state lines. All right, come on to T-Town. I know people coming for TPTI next week, haven't been able to walk outside without a mask on in so many months. It's like, and how are you guys doing? We we have overcome. We're still standing. We're fantastic, actually. I am wonderful. Welcome to the land of the free, home of the brave. And so just come on to Oklahoma. Come home to the congregation of the mighty Ecclesial Embassy. We have room for you. All right, but moving on. And so she talked about brushing off old plants. She said, go to school. Take the extra classes. Make it happen. Now you see how that many years ago, the Lord was trying to prepare people to be ready to bounce back from this situation or to shift, to pivot. And a lot of people had to pivot last year. And those who were not prepared, just if you don't pivot right, you're going to break your ankle, wreck your knee, tear some cartilage, damage yourself. But if you were prepared, then you just, people pivot. Our ministry flourished last year. I mean, you see where we are now. This started last year, all right? And I met a lot of ministries that did very well in these hard times because we were doing our job, which is to be there for God's people and not to kowtow under this fear-mongering agenda to keep everybody apologizing for being bold in Jesus Christ. But see, the training process works that steel backbone in you. Homework. Anybody realize and praise you, your knees can knock doing some homework. <laughs> Talking about, oh, I have to get this topical scripture study done. I've never had to work so hard mm-hmm. in my life. Because we're used to coasting through Christianity. We're just going to ride on the anointing and not work to become fit for the master's use, to become useful, effective for him. We don't, we're not even taught that that's how we should do things. So when we come up on times that we are in right now, it's a shock to many people's system and their soul and spirit. And then we've had what what we revived as another new crisis of faith. But you realize that people study God for Bible study. Come on, Dr. Frank. Not for active ministry. You study God. Already. Already. We're already hitting bells and buzzers. But I, they do. I mean, many of you all came here thinking, wow, I'm going to learn the Bible. Not I'm going to learn the profession. I'm coming to learn the Bible. I'm coming to learn how to prophesy. I'm coming to learn how to use my gift. You understand that if your motivations are wrong, then your encounters are perverted Come on. and your assessment askew. You have to go back because we start with, as I've been doing this, I, my first school was uh, Everlasting Life Bible 
Institute in New Jersey. It was in 1987 that we started. We have I'm some of my graduates who are still around. And the first month, we had to have sessions on why this is not a Bible study. Are those sessions recorded anywhere? Uh, yes, Janita has them. Yes. Why is this not a Bible study? And so we spent the first month just going through, just slicing through that congregational pure mentality. Your professor is not your pastor. As a matter of fact, your professor is not on your church's ministry staff. Your professor belongs to us. Now, the fact that the word university did not persuade you, okay, that should say a lot. You're, you're coming in wanting to be ministered to, not educated. Well, I mean, they didn't say it ministerially. Neither did your college. Look, I went to ORU. And that was supposed to be a sweet school. And I'm going to tell you right now, we have professors who had you crying in the corner. <laughs> because the professor is to prepare you for the profession. That's why they're professors. See how that works out? But your pastor is to pre- prepare you to get along with the congregation which is why there's such a huge disparity in pastoral subjects and methods and approach, because there's really not a continuous or uniform uh, uh, understanding of a pastor's role, especially when you have a kid pastor and an adult pastor, and you got, on we go. So they come here, the first thing we tell them, and we make them repeat it. Then we make them write a paper on what it means to them. You have come to a Bible college not a Bible study back then. So they had to write, I have come to a Bible college. What does that mean? What is it? But more importantly, what isn't it? So we, so, so I, make, I have them do that so that they can sign off on the fact that you know better. Now can you do better? So then we had to move into Bible college homework is not personal devotion. I don't care about your devotional statement. I don't care about how sweet it is with you and Jesus in the closet. Jesus is now the professor. And so he, what you enjoy with the Lord in your private devotions is special, but it's private for a reason. You're not ready, it's not ready for public consumption. So you want to do that. Like in my organization, and I'm, I, and I'm getting ready to tighten the reins on it, novices don't get platforms. Because I love the word novice. The word novice is no vice. Vice is the opposite of virtue. So you're a novice until we can get all of the vices you're bringing to your learning experience out of you. No vice, novice. Because when God originally assigned and populated education in his church, he did it so that he could create a populace that he could send to the world to take down other 
demonic strongholds to replace every other paternal or cultural or governmental deity with himself. That's how we ended up ruling the world. That's what it was about. That's why Harvard's first mission statement was John 17.3. And then, because saints think things should be free, nobody wanted to pay for free. People will pay for corrupt, perverted, distorted, and definitely secularized. So when we have to go there. So now we have this is not a Bible study. You are coming to a school of post-secondary education. Now, the education happens to be central on Jesus Christ, but what makes us different is that we are apostolic, prophetic, university, meaning we go king and kingdom first. So you are going to, you're not just going to go to a missions field. We have missions college. We are not a missions college. We're not a mission. Now, you go on missions, but before the great commission, see, we are the commission college. See, that's different. We need that C-O-M on there. So this is where you are dispatched by the Holy Ghost to establish the government, the guardianship, and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingship. See, we have, everybody said we teach kingdom, and you don't ask people what that curriculum looks like. Well, what is it to teach kingdom? Well, you're going to have to go online at Christ.University. So we, the first thing is we are not, I mean, you are coming here ask, uh, expecting us to be evangelical. We are not evangelical. The good news is is threaded throughout all of our curricula. But central to this is the sovereign of the supreme sovereignty of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is central. So everything you do wraps around his duties, his responsibilities, his obligations, his promises, his covenants, his public ministry. It wraps around, think John says it best, so you must decrease, because here he's going to increase. So, and then we're not going to, I don't care about what God said to you in your prayer closet, unless we're having a prayer meeting. And even our school on prayer is not a prayer meeting, it's a prayer teaching. So we don't, we, we, we will, if you are a quality student, we're interested in your experience. And I don't mean a quality learner. I mean quality student, meaning that you meet deadlines, that you follow goals, you follow. We have a curricula. We have a real syllabus that nobody likes to read. And then we have the, the ones that are so arrogant, they're going to tell me I need to change the curricula. I'm like, you need to change your being. I'm not changing the curricula. Are you kidding me? I've been at this thing so long, I'm old and stuck in my ways. <laughs> and my way is his way. So I'm stuck in God's way. You're bringing your stuff. Well, I'm not interested in what everybody else did. First, learn your curricula. That's what, if you're talking about I want to be educated at a higher level, well, what is a higher level? We never even defined that for you. Higher level is post-secondary education. Lower level is Bible study. Ministry, you know, ministry um, helps. That is not us. That's why we have a whole assessment you have to take to get in here. Then we have you got to take the Bible knowledge exam. Then you have to get through the interview, and then you have to do the assignments. Well, I don't think you. I don't think we should have homework. You have homework even in your devotions. You just don't prepare for it. Isn't that true? 
Because how else could you know what God told you to do unless it was a work he told you about at home? I can't blame you. You, you, uh, you would do that. See, you are a poor student in the Lord because you are trying to be a devotee in his professional public ministry. So your arguments are all about your private life with Jesus Christ. And we don't care. We don't care. You know why? Because I am a public representative. When you read uh, uh, Hebrews 8.2, and it talks about Jesus being a minister of the sanctuary, you can tell that the person who translated that word minister had no idea, had Jesus locked in the church. There are a lot of things in those, those Bible translations. They're not wrong. They're just narrow. They're restrictive. They lock the man in church. Where church you go to once, twice a week, unless you will work for me, and that's different. But, <laughs> baby, you're going to need a roll bed up in here. Roll your bed up and take it around with you okay. <laughs> from room to room. And now we just got, we got what, 20-something more rooms? Oh, yeah. But if you read Hebrews, it's about minister of the, of the sanctuary. Let me show you how the church so corrupted this man's original function and purpose because they changed it to minister of the sanctuary. And the word for minister of the sanctuary is liturgos. There he's a liturgos. He's a public minister. He is God's minister to God's public. And if Jesus is a public minister, how are you going to be a private devotee? Can't happen. So when, we, when you come and we give you assignments, you know, we act as if Jesus didn't give those apostles assignments. They did. They had assignments in their class. If you study the, the word university, what came from the idea, essentially, from the idea that people learned outside, and they traveled around to learn what all of the environments and climates and cultures were like. So they could be over here and say, do you see that tree? Well, let me tell you what that tree is. Do you see that tree stump? Well, let me tell you what that tree stump is, and, and on we go. So you have got to get to a point. Will you understand, and I need you to get this, I'm here to make replicants of Jesus Christ. I'm not here to make replicants of your little pet doctrine, your little favorite theology, your favorite theologian. If there is any correlation, it is simply coincidental. It is not planned. I'm here to give this man something he can work with. Now, I've had this same Mission statement since 1987, I'm sorry, let me get it right, 1985, have it written in so many documents, and it took all this long for the church to know that they weren't replicants of Jesus Christ. They were replicants of the world. They were replicants of fashion and culture and all of those kinds of things, you know, political statements and agendas. But my job, and I'm very clear on that, so your entire curriculum, which is why I am a Chief Apostle, I'm a founder, it, it's been in the works and in the making since 1985. There's no room for you to change it. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm going to give you the real bell. You having fun today. You want the big, you get the big bell. So your ideas have no place because there's no interjection space in there because it's so 
cohesive, which is the upside of having a one person lay it out before we throw all the other persons to work it out. So there is it. You know, you start on learning the Bible. I, I don't care about how big your library is. It doesn't mean anything to me if it's not going to produce it. That's like asking a doctor to really master a law library. Eventually, you may be a, a, a doctor of, of lawyers or you may be a, a lawyer of, to doctors, but a verse, we need you to get the doctor thing down pat. We need you to get the King Jesus thing down pat. So, you, I mean, for example, what is it? The, what is it? Um, how God thinks God is a thinker. God's a thinker. You know, most people don't think God's a thinker because they're feelers. They feel like he's a feeler. They don't realize that you enter into God's thoughts that he's been working, that he settled a long time ago. <laughs> you know, he's got settled it. We were talking on the way in. I said, but, you know, I learned about God. God, we want to tell God how things are going to go. And then, or either they'll say, we were talking, in our case was, you know, people saying to me, you know, I want that anointing. And God said, I need you to tell my people to stop that because they cannot just simply ask me for an anointing and not the cross, the, the cross that goes with the anointing. Yeah. Not the cost of the anointing because that anointing was not made out of magic paper mache. Okay? That anointing was made out of bone, blood, life, trauma, trial, tribulation, sorrow, loss, lack. All of the things that deprivation and, and uh, tribulation bring into a life, that is the apothecary of the anointing you want. So do you want the image or the substance? Come on. That's wow. So we're talking, and then the Holy Ghost says to me, he said, Norm and I, we were cracking up, but um, I was trying to find it in a hurry, about James and uh, John. You know, James and John, hey, Jesus. Hey, Mom, go talk to Jesus and go ask Jesus if we could be his bookend. We can be on his right and his left. You know how they have the two lions? Well, we're going to have the two sons of thunder on his right and his left, okay? And so when you get into your kingdom. So they had faith enough to know the man was going to get into his kingdom, that he would eventually arrive, but they sent their mama. First of all, that's already scary. Why you send your mother? (laughs) Your mother was not in class. Your mother does not have more leverage with Jesus than you, his trainee apostle. So they said, and so, hey, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, they're there, but they're like, Ma, you say it. Because he ignores her and turns to them. (laughs) So all y'all mamas that think you have more power than a minister that Jesus is training, fix yourself. (laughs) Fix yourself. Fix yourself up a little bit. So he ignores the mother. That's why when you see the, uh, the account, it looks kind of strange. Because Jesus is like, I didn't train her. I told my own mother she wasn't all that. <laughs> I told my own mother, who is my mother? And who are my brothers and my, okay, those who do the will of God. So I'm training the doers of God's will, not the producers of the doers. So they're standing there, and they said, well, this is what we want. Now, Jesus is, you know, you got to go something to get in God's mind. So they said, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm trying to look for it at the same time, tell you the story. So somebody find it, up, find it out for me. But anyway, so 
He says, what do you want? Lord, we ask that when you get into your kingdom, we want to be on your right and your left because you've got a pair of twins. Look at us. You don't have another set of lookalikes out here. We are the lookalikes. And you, we can look like this on your right and on your left not, all the way through. Not that we're stronger, not that we're smart, not that we even agree with you. We just want to be your accessories. So Jesus said, really? So then he sets you up. Jesus will always give you a set up, knock down question to whatever you ask. He said, can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? They said, yay, Lord. Yay, Lord. Yeah, I want your anointing. Yay, Lord. He said, no, Jesus, then you'll drink it. Then he goes on to say, but to give, but to give who will sit on my right hand and my left, I cannot give you that because that is only for my father. And so I'm thinking, wait a minute, God, hold on, hold on. He told them, for their pride, you're going to drink this, and you're still not going to get what you asked for. I said, Jesus, that was a setup. How many of y'all know Jesus has those setups? So what is the cup that he's about to drink? Crucifixion, humiliation, dying, horrible death. As a matter of fact, God, if, if you make the connection, and I love, like, weaving the pattern, Jesus actually, um, when he comes into, um, he goes home, he's back to being supreme sovereign, James gets killed. She's like, I'm a, and you, you can almost get in his mind and say, when I get back home, I'm going to break this up. John now has to turn to Jesus because he no longer has James. See, that, that twin thing, that relative thing can be crippling. And, and, and when I say crippling, I don't just mean that, you know, they are codependent. No, I mean they do so much together, they cannot even separate their thoughts, their deliberations, because they must gain approval from each other. Because nobody, when you're in a, tw- a, a twin ring, the, the approval is, that thing is crossed between those two, those twins. So what one does, the other does. What one suggests, the other does. And that's twins, and it, it's, it's relatives in general. Yeah. If you have a relative that you have, as a child, you were close to, and y'all grow up, and y'all did everything together, y'all might as well have been twins because you are a crippled relationship. So they are going to go, and no, and let me tell you something, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, that man is, who shit, they ask this in an open session. You know how people yell out, I want that anointing, give me your anointing. No, baby, baby, my anointing is not grease. I cannot collect my grease and my sweat and rub it all on you. I'm like, because even if I put it on you, how are you going to know it works unless it's tried? And the way for you to know it works is that it's tried, and you have to be tried with my trial. Because you want my anointing. And then, is that all right? I just, because one of the things that I want you to know, we're going to go to the screen, um, but one of the things I want you to know is that the anointing is, is a composition of constituents. It's a composing, a composite of several things. So what are the things? What are the things that they have? Well, your anointing, 
doesn't just come in oil. The oil is the result of your anointing or the, what, what, what chemists do to make something appliable. Not just, a, but there is an applicable to the appliable. So I want to talk to you about God. I introduced you to that and laid that wonderful foundation after she laid hers. And, um, but I want to tell you, your anointing consists of some specific things. For example, your anointing exists of, 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 a heart, of the heart realm or the effective domain, your sentiments, your feelings, your passions, and your desires. So now, if, we were, if all of that was, if we were in a chemist's office and all of those bottles were on the shelf, all right, then we'd have to find out what that is. Well, why, whatever you're called to do and become determines the apothecary of your anointing. And every office has its own apothecary. That is mix, mix of, of external and internal mix of impulses and compulsions. So it starts at the heart, because with God, everything starts at the heart. Once we get past the spirit, now the spirit is, the, is literally, the spirit is the provider, the dispenser. But the, everything starts at the heart. Now, I say this to you because many people think that the anointing is in that bottle of Bertoli or whatever that you get. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, every oil changes itself. So look at the screen, and I got a new startup. Thought y'all might like it. You ready? Oh, I like new. I'm, you know, she talked about new. I'm with her with new all day long. That's why, you know, I keep them going. Huh? <laughs> but they think that because they aren't taught. So here, you know, you are what your heart thinks. Just remember that. You are what your heart thinks. We can change your mind like this. Oh, I changed my mind. I want chicken. But can you change your heart? Because your heart is, is, is filled with it. So your anointing begins with your heart, you know, pulling from your spirit into your soul realm. And then from your soul realm, pulling as if it's a, a, a dispenser, a shelf, pulling all of the elements that it takes for you to be who you are or become what you will become. Now, in your heart, that mix that it's pulling from, it's every second of every day of your life up to the point that God calls you. And just because he calls doesn't mean he appoints. Man, man may call and anoint, but God does not. God appoints and then anoints. Man calls and anoints, but God appoints and anoints. Does this speak to you all? So when somebody tells you, hey, I'm going to lay hands on you for ministry, they're not saying go get a card and, and a, a, a 501c3. They're saying go to school. Get ready. God says lay hands on no one suddenly, but that actually means anoint no one rashly or impulsively. And here's a big one, without knowing what the anointing is going to turn them into. Mm. Ah, so good. Okay. That's what school will do too. 
School will tell you, will show us systematically what anointing will turn you into. Here's why. Paul, I mean, uh, let's get back. Saul got anointed for kingship, and it turned him into a public spectacle. Took off his clothes, sat down in the dirt, and his reaction to the anointing actually pretty much foretold what the anointing was going to make of him in his position. He perverted prophecy in the, with the witch of Endor. He kills the prophet. He turns around and he, and he has a ruthless draft. He seizes the citizen's property. And, and that one little moment that the prophets could witness, that Samuel could witness, and Samuel loved the God. They were close. Samuel cried. So what we learn, if a quality education should, it should tell you what the anointing will turn you into, which is why people run. They, like she said, they run and hide because when you're, when you're with someone who just wants you to show off, but when you're with someone who wants you to extend the continuum, to fit in God's continuum, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult. So we'll, our pattern is extracted from eternity's continuum, which is why I wrote Before the Garden, for, which is why I wrote the Prophet's Handbook and all of those others. So the second part that you should know, from the heart, that anointing. Now, remember, why is the heart the first place? Because in the physical body, the heart's pumping hits every area of your being. So that starts solically first, which is why your heart even had all of that scripting of passion and likes and appetites and all of that. All of that has got to be redressed by the training and development program we put at put on you, which is why we can look at y'all and y'all think y'all so cool. And I look at you and say, look at that anointing bringing all your ugly up. Yeah. Look at that class bringing a spotlight. You know, it's almost like we give you a homework assignment and it becomes a bean. Okay? And it's bringing out your ugly, just like it brought out Saul's ugly. If Saul had not been anointed for kingship, we would have never known how perverse he really was. But that perversion came into the office. Because you need to have more than one anointing. Now, David had, what, three? Saul got one, because that's all it took to release his devil. Wow. Now, so, and I say often, God did not care whether or not Saul was educated. Like these people who jump ship and leave the program and whatnot, they really believe that they leave with the upper hand. What they don't understand is they leave because it, listen, under God's lead, God will lead problems out of the things that he finds valuable and accurate. So he just will lead you out. And he'll tell them to leave, and you'll say, wow, no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. He wanted that out of his classroom. Because it would have spread to others. So 
He, he, exactly. He will quarantine you. And we don't realize it's quarantine, but it is. He quarantines you with an organization or a ministry or church or leader that is consistent with why you get it right. So he has it all picked out. Otherwise, how are you going to be Alpha and Omega? So when they say that, so I used to say, no, he doesn't. Now I say, he, one day I told you, he said to me, yeah, I did. I let her out. You what? Yeah, he said, because she wasn't worthy of the blessings I was about to release on you. Come on. And then another one, he said, go ahead. <laughs> but another one, he said, because they had already resolved that they would not be changed by the curriculum I gave you. Wow. Paul could... All those prophets, you're talking about prophet mountain. He has a hill at the top of the hill. He's got all of these prophets running his entire family's got, said Paul, forgive me, family's got this, all these prophets running his prophetic realm. John the Baptist, all of these prophets, if, if, if an anointing or a tap of anointing was going to matter, just walking on the ground would have changed him. But it didn't change him. Because if you have not been changed, the anointing exposes you. It doesn't transform you. It just makes you more willful, more self-persuaded, more self-driven. But it's all about self. Because you don't understand that God said before, honor is humility. Humility is a nasty thing. It's like having a, a year of detox. I'm on with that. Yeah, sure. Isn't that gross? Every time you turn around, something up, some other ugly thing is coming out. My God. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, okay, I am finished. You feel like I can't vomit up another thing. I can't poop out another thing. I can't sweat out another thing. And lo and behold, he finds more. <laughs> okay? And, exactly. And, then, and you know what else comes out of that? In that experience, all of your hatefulness and resentment, resentment of him comes out. Because you begin to tell him how good you've been to him, how unjust he is. You begin to let him know how disappointed you are that he didn't heal you, and why did he subject, to, subject you to this, and he could have stopped it. And so God needs all of that. See, so while you are physically dumping, your heart and soul are dumping all your feelings about God that you didn't know you would have that would have tripped you up over a 10- or 15-year period God brought it down to three to five. Thank you, Jesus. And you'll know when it's over because the last person you'll blame for anything is the Lord. And the first person you'll blame is you. And as long as you have an excuse, you got a lot more dumping to do. So now, so the heart is off. The heart is that distiller because it's got a, Remember, the heart is switching out. You've got these two carotid arteries. You've got one that's bringing in the new, another is carrying out the trash. And so in your soul realm, because all of this is in the soul, your soul contains all of this in gelatinous form, not in earthly clay form. So it's functioning the same way, but it's showing up in the body like this. So you are, you can't even help it. And so if God says that your issue is appetite, first of all, he's going to make you so comfortable with appetite. You ever notice that when you get ready to lose weight, you have to have a, 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 a feast before your fast? Oh, <laughs> Baby, every food you ever dreamed, I'm telling you, even foods you stopped eating 10, 15 years ago, 
but you going back to childhood. I got to have my six peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because that's what I remember. I need my seed, my little Debbie, my sugar pops, my cornflakes, frosted flakes. Oh, come on. Cocoa pops. We got, baby, we got to have it all. Then we got to have every hot dog, everything, every piece. Everything with some preservative in it has got to come because you have to feast before that famine. But why the feast? Because the feast or the appetites come from you. They call there's a you know they call it appetency, but it's the appetites that have supported you, have courted you, have satisfied you, and comforted you all your days. But God is taking you from the mortal realm, putting you into His realm, and they can't come. So whether you fast literally or whether you fast the life, because God was like, I, don't, I mean, it's nice you turn your plate down, but I need you to turn your life off. Which is why when people are being trained and transformed, they're taken from their home environment. That's why kids go to college. And, all, you know, all of those other things. And, and it was a good thing once, but, you know, here we are. So when you think about um, your, the, when you get ready to say, okay, God, I'm ready for this and that, the other thing is your appetite for people. All of a sudden, you want to reach out to all of the people that were like not really good for your life. And if you don't think to reach out to them, they will reach out to you. School things. You have not gotten an invitation to the to the the alumni meeting ever. Now you got three. And so, because that is your social appetite that God has to deal with. So we've got this, this nutritional appetite going over here. We've got this social appetite that we have to deal with. In other words, people whose voices you love to hear and always got you in trouble. Oh, hallelujah. You know, all relationships. And then after that, you have what, what I call your recreational appetite. See, these all have their compartments in your soul. And all of a sudden, you just want to play. All I want to do is play. Because God is coming down on you, and your spirit has told your soul, look out, because we come. <laughs> and that is what you do. So that all you want to do is recreate. I want to have fun. I want to hang out. Remember, the social is the dinners out and the cruises and the trips that don't make sense. And then we have the recreational. You know, you got to go home for everything. You got to go back to where it all began. Because God is coming down on it, because he, he's coming for the vessel that he's going to use and present on his body by, and also restrain, restrain what he doesn't want to and unleash on his body. So now you've got this recreational thing. And then after that, you, come, you move into image. All of a sudden, your image happens. And they kind of tie into the recreational. I've got to change my life, my heart. And all of these are postponement tactics that you don't know you're using. Right. Come on. Right. Not procrastination, because you, you, when God gets in your world, you get very busy. When he starts getting on your case, you get busy doing everything but God. Come on. You have no time. You constantly tell him how you don't have time. You start faking yourself as a minister. You're going to fake yourself as a teacher, fake yourself, because you want to use you 
and you don't want to die. It's the worst thing. So here we go. We are, we, we're down now to image. We're going to change our hair. We're changing our house. We're changing our car. We go into debt because we feel like we're, we're literally physicalizing what he wants to do stoically in us. So we're, we figure we can satisfy ourselves and hopefully get dad to accept like Cain if we do it ourselves and then take it to him and show it to him. Wow. Wow. So now don't forget, we're still talking about the traveling of the anointing and all of the composites. It's a pop, your pocket, what is it, apothecary is picking up. So now, so we've got you, you're at image. Now image, and then after image, you are at acceptance. You're going to force yourself into everything. That's when willfulness begins to take over. Now, you're not giving up prayer. You're not giving up Bible, your scripture study. You're not doing any of that. As a matter of fact, you, every step of the way, you have reinforced how it's always worked. So now, when you get to this last step, that's called going public. You're ready. Here's where you're ready to start your ministry because you have done the work. Thank you, Lord. I don't really need you. I've got it. Good. I hope you like You're like, this is, this is good, right? Is this? And God seems very silent. But when he brought Israel out, he said, I'm going to step away from you for a minute to see what you're going to do. And essentially to see if you're going to keep my law or not, or if you even will miss me. You won't know. Because along the way, you picked up new friends. And their forces and their spirits, you picked up new organizations and entities, and don't let you have a little bit of success because now you picked up the Leviathan, the king of all the children of pride. So you're picking up this. I mean, so by the time you get to the point that you're telling Jesus you're ready, he's like, right, kill it. And you're like, God, you're destroying my work. You're destroying my plan, Lord. Oh, does this speak to you? And you know why? Along the way, you destroyed a lot of people with your presumptions and assumptions. You gave bad counsel. You delivered false prophecy. You affirmed what God was judging. You, you rewarded those that have done horrible to him. So along the way, you've got a lot of souls in your wake. Broken souls. Mis, uh, mis Directed souls, mispositioned souls, you've got a whole lot of souls because your sick soul stepped out to do what God needed you to let him fix before he unleashed it on his public. Is this? <laughs> you can get a big one. Go ahead. Hey, Liberty. Yeah, you probably want to do that a couple of times, don't you? <laughs> now, see, people don't tell you this. This is part of our biblical psychology program because we teach you the soul as the maker made it. As the maker made it, and thus you walk you into his thoughts and intents for it, his future and hope. So here we are. So now at, at the public, while you're public, and God will do that. He said to Pharaoh, for this cause, I raised you up, that I may show my power in you. 
So you don't realize that all the while he was strutting his stuff, peacocking and all of that, that God was making him muscular enough, burly enough, robust enough to take on the God he thought he was better than. So he's all, he's strutting his stuff. Pride is all over him, right? And so he's having a blast. But the Bible says pride goes before destruction. So if God give, gave you a lot to be proud of, be nervous. Because you have to find out why he gave it to you. We think God made these people great so that he can, he can walk around and say, yeah, well, I did my best, but they outdid me. No, God wants them to hurt enough and to suffer enough so that their hurt and suffering will be remedial, a remedy for all the people they converted into themselves. That is why when people get, I don't understand how this man of God could fall. I don't know how this woman of God could be. God needed them to be strong enough to take the fall. That would empty them of themselves. So if God rushes and you look at these young kids, and they're, you know, God, they, oh, man, God is just letting them, they're blessing and whatnot. God is getting, it's kind of like when you are having a detox, you pull all the toxins in, and then you purge all the toxic cells with it. You have to pull it all in together so that when the dump happens, everything is dumped. So when I, when, when I hear people say, oh, yeah, well, he's a, he's a young man. He's got so and so many people. Honey, let me tell you, cancer is nothing but a bunch of cells that shouldn't have been there. Isn't it? Isn't that what it is? So when people say that, just because people are big and burly, they can be oafy in God. You know, just big, you know, but that doesn't mean that that, that they're getting healthy cells or healthy sheep. That's what it means. And so when you look at that, all of that, and why does he do it? Because this person said, I want fast track. God says, so well, let me give you everything with fast track. Because God, God sends down packages. We think he sends down pieces. <laughs> Did you want to say something? Go ahead. Can we go back to what you said before? <laughs> about the novice piece. Novice. Can somebody have been doing something for years mm-hmm. but still be a novice? Because a lot of what the arguments that fly around the kingdom and whatever is I've been doing this for X amount of time and that amount of time and whatever. Mm-hmm. So can somebody have a lot of years or several years under their belt but still be a novice? Yes. Longevity does not in and of itself translate to expertise. Now, how is that? How could it happen? Because you think about the, just, just think about the, the man that, or the person who worked the assembly line for 40 years. Yeah. They're still in the assembly line 40 years after the fact, got a good pension, some great benefits. Isn't it wonderful benefits? They've got good pension. They've got great, great benefits. They are well-liked, well-received. They may even be in the union or even leading the union, but guess what they never learned? how to do anything but work that line. So they're still a novice. They may be at the top of novice. They may even be, you know, so their experience is based on redundancy. 
and repetition. Not even, you know, maybe a little bit of duplication, but nothing that takes you out of that stratum of doing the job. So when people say that to me, and when you hear that, stop thinking that because people say I've been doing this for so-and-so years that they mastered it, that they even were competent in it, which is why we need a mess, uh, uh, assessment. You know, my trusty book here, I'll be up for shit. I'll take these over here. But my trusty book, Assessing Your Prophetic Self, we don't have assessments, and you can't have assessments until you have uniform criteria. And you cannot really set a standard until that happens. So many times people say that and for, to my advisors, ask them what they do. Ask people what they do. When people say, I won four awards, that is a marvelous thing. But ask them how they won the award. And where is the success now? Because having a moment, it cannot be, well, should not be taken. A moment success should not be taken as a successful career. So we have to think differently and live powerfully. So, you, so many times pastors and churches especially get duped. And they get duped into thinking that because somebody says, I've done something for 10 or 15 years, that they've done it successfully or even effectively. We don't ask about effectiveness. I know what I, I had to learn. And God would say, ask her about so-and-so. So, blah, blah, blah. Well, uh, my job description didn't require that. Right. Okay. Because the profession does, but your job description didn't, which means you had a title and not a position. So we have to start, stop letting people's testimony be our particular judging rod. I want to know what you did because companies are notorious for giving you a high title so they don't have to pay you more money. You never moved off that desk. They just keep changing the title size. (laughs) Change the title size and people come by and look at this high title and those of us from my era know what that used to mean. And now we have to find out that it doesn't mean that. And then you've got somebody 23 years old with some high title coming to work looking like a ragamuffin and then can't even answer your questions. So, uh, like, uh, so, uh, like, but you know what they're happy about? They can do that little task. So you have to know the difference between an assignment and tasks. See, all of those factor into the novice um, the novice assessment, no vice. That's how God had me under. He said, well, the whole idea is that no, they, and the training is to see to it that they don't go into that career on behalf of that company with any professional vices because vice is the opposite of virtue. And if you study vices on your own, because, you know, you guys, I, I look up things and I'm surprised at how much we've gotten away from just, you know, issues. You know, even when we were talking about the uh, centennial, was that last week? I was just, okay, two weeks ago. Okay, thank you. Because I was like, tell me I'm not that much. Okay. But, you know, and we were, again, in another 
meeting, and this same guy gets up. He said, well, I just don't call it a massacre. Well, I just don't believe it's a massacre. It was a riot. And I'm telling you, this guy was mad. No, yesterday. Yes, same guy. He's still mad. And, but the point is, so everybody is trying to make him understand. I just went to etymology, online etymology dictionary. And it defined a massacre as the unjust or indiscriminate, let me get the right word, indiscriminate killing of a lot of people who can't defend themselves, which is what it was. Now, because he said, well, I just think that it was, it was a combat. No, no, no. Because, see, when, it's, when, when we go to war, we tear people's buildings after we kill the people. We burn it down so that they're not remembered. So the riot piece was the burning down. That was the riot. The massacre were the people who were there. And, and his, his attitude was only 30-something people. I said, but, yeah, but none of those people who were killed would have gotten away with killing 30-something of your not in that era. Okay? And so what is the point? The point is knowing what words mean. And so I don't just look at all of the dictionaries because the dictionaries have to do with marketing, people changing meanings, but I'm just going to call it this and call it that and whatever. But I go back to the root, and the root was that. Same thing with assignments and tasks and responsibility. Most, most trainings that we give people for ministry have very little of that in it. And most of them will want you to say, just, just, just shadow me. Let me tell you something. My shadow shadows me, and it's not making me smart. <laughs> my shadow shows up all the time. See, everywhere I go, there's my shadow. And you know what? The only shadow I know that had power was Peter's and Jesus. Come on. Okay? That's all I knew. And so, so I don't know if that helps you. You know, Peter and Jesus. But I need you to recognize that if all you're going to do in ministry is what you see and all you want to do is to be trained in how to, not know how. How You like that, don't you? I'm going to do something. Because you have to recognize training has stages. So if somebody's coming in and they're going to be the receptionist answering the phone, what they do, their training is more of a tutorial. Because how many, how many ways can you say push this button, read this list, route this call? Now, that doesn't make them ignorant. It just tells you that we're going from the simple to the complex. So you have to find out if a person only wants to be trained in how to. They're just interested in know-how. And if they're disinterested in know-how, they're disinterested in knowledge. And if they're disinterested in that, then they're disinterested in the scope, the information. So you have to, uh, and, and so we don't train. So when people start telling me what you did, you have to, uh, well, you know, I have, I've written some manuals on this for your training, <clears throat> for your training. But when people say, I, I went to Bible college. I need to know at what level. Did you stop at quote, quote, read, read, quote, quote, interpret? Did you go through splice and dice, you know? Did you go through, uh, you know, um, move the board game where you move the scriptures around on your board to make it say what you want? I need to know what you know because I'm an author, and I can talk to people who have read my work and know that they read it instead of skimmed it or scanned it. And so, 
because it shows up. So now you're back to university, you're back to college or what we're doing, and you want to go and you don't want, your brain is lazy. It doesn't want to do it. It, 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 The thing crosses your eyes. (laughs) Oh, we all know what that is. Thing cross your eyes, all of a sudden you got blurriness. You're like, I need some glasses. They were good this morning, but I don't know what. <laughs> Honey, the thing, your glasses don't want to work. Your head is spinning. You, uh, it's, and then it goes into it. it your, your, uh huh. It goes into that appetency, that appetite, fear, so that it can see to it that you are going to get up, put that down. Go feed your appetite. Bring a bunch of snacks. I still think that my, it, it just so reminds me of that wonderful uh, scene in War Room with her sitting in the closet. <laughs> that is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. She's sitting in the closet, and you know when you get there, everybody laughs because we all been there. She got her basket of chips and dips and cookies and whatever, and she's got moving around and she, what? Her appetite had to be purged. So nobody's saying that's a bad place. But her appetite had to be purged. And you can tell just her consistency gave her the power and the drive to to go and do more than hide out and eat. Because many times when you start something new, your appetite is your rescuer. Whether, and we, we just went through all of the appetites. Do you remember all the appetites we went through? We just went through. So your appetite becomes your rescuer. And your body is responding with the hormones that your appetite is calling for. So that is why you have to sit still. You, you, your children, you want to train them, and you don't realize the same thing is happening with them. And they have not only no awareness, but they also, their little minds are like, all I know is I'm hungry. But you have to recognize that tactic is supposed to be dealt with when they're kids. Not this curricular today of destruction. This is that, that today it's a matter of everything is about indulgence and not intelligence. And many people, so you come here and you're like, I'm so, do you know how many pages I had to read? Do you know how much I had to write? I love it when they start telling me. Because don't they do it to me? I said, but I got, and those are the books you know about. Right. <laughs> those are not the books I still have on the shelf and someplace else and manuals you've never seen. You have no idea what it is for God to sit on you and you want to do everything. You're squirming in your spirit. You're squirming in your soul. And he's like, get it done. Finish it. Whatever. Those are necessary drills that equip you to go out into his public ministry, his public service, as his public servant, and face off with all of those spirits that are going to use every one of those tactics to get you to abandon your post, Mm -hmm. abandon your assignment, to withdraw, worst of all, to compromise. And if they cannot cancel you, they're going to make you compromise. So as we go forward in understanding this, you have got to recognize that the, the, the Lord is using what he does for everything, and that's words. Your curricula is words. But those words have a technology. 
And you have got to recognize that every assignment, every text that you read, all of it has unseen people or beings responsible for seeing to it that what you have just taken in academically, you can assimilate and dispense materially, physically. You have to produce it. I produce a product in you all. That's why you're here. I produced a product, and we have a like-minded product by now, although some of y'all still cry about homework, glory to Jesus. But the whole reason for homework is this. Would you like to know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is it big on you? Because in school, it's homework. On the field, it's work prep. See, at home... We're telling you how to do it, and if we put it in you enough, we'll assimilate. If we can get that in you enough when you're in Spain, when you are in Asia, when you are, have traveled 19 hours, 29 hours, it's in there. When you've had no sleep for three days, that academia turns into ability, which turns into competence, which turns into expertise. Proficiency and expertise. So if you can't do it under no pressure, see, you can't deliver for God under no pressure, or as Paul said, light affliction. And see, what he what he called light affliction, we call a good day. <laughs> So if you can't do it with motivated by vision, purpose, and passion, if those don't motivate you while you're under a structure, while you're within a particular structure, when you get out there on your own, just like Saul, what's really in you that kept you from being a good student is going to be what shows up and exposes you as incompetent or incapable. You needed to hear it from me. So when you say to me, and I, I and I know you all don't look at our records, and most of you all don't know that we, you need to ask them to print out your records to see what we see. <laughs> you know, some of y'all are like don't print mine. <laughs> Because you think you're doing great because you had a good week that you did great. Okay. Not that you're doing great for the entire semester. Right. Blessed day. <laughs> <laughs> this is a woman who's been through. <laughs> Baby. Yeah. Because, go ahead. I'll slide over. <laughs> Well, you're going to have to shift it anyway, okay? White pants. Right. Um, my, when my dad died mm-hmm. three years ago, I mean, talk about the homework grooming you to be successful in the trial. And my stepmom asked me to officiate his memorial service because they really weren't members of a church. And I said yes on the phone thinking, why did I just say I would do this? <laughs> <laughs> and my dad, you know, 
and had to be the minister at the door, mm-hmm. greeting. I was in my, uh, at that time, prophet's attire, and be the minister at the door, greeting people coming in, explaining who I was, because my dad didn't raise me, so a lot mm-hmm. of people didn't know who I was and why I was there, and then had to get up and deliver a message and all these kind of things and meet family members I hadn't seen in a while who did not appreciate the choice that I chose to serve the Lord, only to discover in that moment it was the best thing I could have ever done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And could see at a time that uh, was very devastating mm-hmm. because of the training it brought, even if it was short-lived, but it brought reparation and it uh, fixed the record. Mm-hmm. On conclusions about the choices for my life, doing ministry and not being in entertainment and doing all those other things. And it really was a major moment that uh, nobody nobody would have questioned collapsing and falling down and all those things. But the the rigors of the program really did prepare me and equip me, not even just prepare me, and equip Mm -hmm. me to be effective for the Lord and then break down later. Yes. And she, because what she's not telling you is her father died without notice. He just dropped dead. He dropped dead in the year that she's supposed to be commissioned. So, and that was April, and you were going to be commissioned in November. Is that right? Um, it, was, it was actually June. June. It was right before TPTI. Oh, even worse. Yeah. Okay. And she still had to run TPTI. So, and did it. And, and let me tell you what, Dr. Price, like when I got back in town, she said, oh, you're going to come back on Monday? I said, no, I have to come back on Sunday because people are getting in town on Sunday. We have the event. And she's like, oh. And so his funeral fell on the weekend right before leading into it. So Father's Day, it was Father's Day weekend. Mm-hmm. I mean, all the reasons that we tell people they need to have a mental collapse. Father's Day weekend, and then I flew back that night. And Dr. Price literally had to pray me through yeah. Like, she laid hands on me, I think, every single day. Yep. Just to keep me together, to do the job, had to teach at the event, mm-hmm. and do all of it. And then go cry at night. Oh, right. And so let me just tell you, all of this homework that you're talking about is for those reasons. It is not for when, it, when you're enthusiastic and you're running on adrenaline or dopamine. This is for when you have been devastated. She will tell you, my mother died at 2 a.m. in the morning on my birthday, and it was a Sunday. And I had to, because no, I hadn't prepared anybody, because no, she too just went, you know. And so I had to stand up there and preach for my church and do my duties. And I said, no. Tell me, not so. And, and I say that to you to say, Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. That's the first thing he said. And he said that if you cannot hate mother, father, sister, brother, blah, 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 uh, or love me more than them, then you are not worthy of me. So God is working with a whole lot of people who are literally enslaved in unworthy doctrine, doctrine that makes them worthless when they want to be worthy. So when we say that, and people, people say to me, well, you just don't know what it is. Let me tell you something. This thing called ministry, when they ask for my anointing, I'm like, you have no idea. You have no idea. I'm telling you, 
that this thing requires you to forsake all, and he means all, not some, depending on who you are, because all for me doesn't have to be the same dimension or volume of all for you. But you need to know what your all is. That's what you need to know. Because some people, all you have is one brother. That's your all. That can be your all because that's all you have. And then others, you have a huge family that had great trips and they did all of these things and, and blah, 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 and one dies and, and you, have a, you have a responsibility and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm abandoning ship. But that says a lot to God. All of these assignments and all of the tasks we had, you're like, wow, but there's a lot to do because when you're in ministry by yourself, you do it all. You are the all one. Jesus may be the almighty, but you are the all one, the all and only. And you have got to be able to deliver under pressure and be ready in a moment. He said be ready in season and out. And what are we doing? So we have you doing writing papers. Why are you doing it? Writing it and reading it and editing it and writing it and reading it and editing it. Why are you writing all of these papers so that you train your brain to produce knowledge on demand? Excellent knowledge, not just verbiage. Mm-hmm. You don't have to fall back on where the Bible says. Half of these people don't even realize there is a Bible. They all got their own kind of Bible right now. <laughs> all of this is to, for you to re- so that you can show that you are an, a representative of the intelligent God, the all-wise God, not the excuse me, Lord. Oh, yeah. Most of the church is about, you know, God knows what I've been through. And God is like, do you know what I've been through? Matter of fact, what I've been through with you. <laughs> and you just want a billion. And I've been through with you. But as long as you use your worst as an excuse to not become your best and to not do your best, you prove yourself disqualified for the most high God's service. Now, some other spirit is going to pick you up. Because, you know, Okay, a lot of people get stuff out the landfill. <laughs> but most of us like to stop, shop at the retail or the something. So, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. The point is, if excuses are your constant, then excellence will always be absent. Well, you don't understand. My mother died, and two years later, my father died. And let me tell you something. My mother had the audacity to die on the first year that I was going to have a celebration. Not only that, she died in a blizzard. I couldn't get back home. And that is after us being pummeled and pummeled and pummeled. And you know what I had to do? See, there are times that when you get highly developed, your expertise takes over. And it takes over for you, and it works. And you're like, where is this coming from? Who is saying? I don't. Uh. You, you will write. If you press, you will write the best papers you ever had. If you press. If you press, you will deliver the best communications you have. And you know why? Because the apothecary of the anointing has got to be mixed with sorrow and grief. If it's just oil out of a bucket, then you have a, a commercial anointing. Oh. Oh. Yes. oh, I can't even take that. <laughs> and a lot of people are going for that public display of 
A commercial, and and so and they do it, and you can tell it like that. All of the the music is going, and the people are shouting, and they're running around the room, and blah blah blah, and you're getting oil all over you, and people are getting whatever, and everybody's coming up prophesying and touching. That's not how God anoints. Most of God's anointings have been in secret, other than with the priests, and even with that, Aaron, secret. David out there with the sheep, secret. And then David, that was anointing to go through the trials for the tribulations for the call. He went through all of that, and then they had to anoint him king. So what was that first anointing for? That's the preparatory preparatory anointing. That preparatory anointing. See, because people are teaching from their sentiment. Everything sounds sensual and spectacular. But when you read your Bible, God anoints in secret. Now, he anointed Jesus at the water with John. But the anointing of power happened in the wilderness. Paul said, I was in the wilderness. Jesus got the anointing to say, tag your it. Publicly. Privately, he got, oh, you defeated the savage beast? You defeated being hungry. You defeat. You survived the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. Okay, so now we're going to help you. See, because that last anointing is when the power that, that is calling you comes upon you. The apostles got endued with power on hot after. But we like to do it because it makes for good show. We like public anointings. It makes for good show. You know how many people are sworn in and four people in a room? Four people. Okay? And half of them can't even say what you were sworn in to do. (laughs) I'm sworn in. Can't tell you. Not at liberty to say, but just say you saw it. Okay? So that, so, and so what else? We know now that the anointings touch your emotions, your emotional self, or your affective domain first. And then it moves up to the cognitive, moves up to your brain. And I always think of cognitive with, with the first three words, cogs. Yeah. It starts going and dealing with the cogs in your brain and, all, and how you think. So that's the second level. Now, you would think it would be first because we start here, but God starts at the heart in everything. That's why prophets can, are the best ones in the Old Testament to tell people what God's heart was. See, the priest told him what God's thoughts were, what his law was. This is his law. The king told him what his government was. But the prophets told him what God's heart is. And that is why God is hot today, because these prophets have never been to his heart. They've been in his meetings. They've been in his sessions. But they've never been in his heart. But when you've been in his heart, you're not just barking orders and barking laws, and you're not just criticizing and judging. We call we, we say all the prophets of the Old Testament were judging, and, you know, judgmental and whatnot. They weren't. They were not. They were doing the same thing any other, um, uh, what do you call it, counselor or any other revelator would do. This is our, our king is suffering. Our sovereign is going through, and this is what's bothering him. And you all are mishandling God, and you're mishandling his grace, and you're mishandling his blessings. And so we have to tell you, because God is invisible and inaudible, he must have physical beings to make him 
heard and known in the mortal realm, in the physical realm. God is invisible, so somebody has to physicalize him. God is inaudible, so someone has to audiate him. He knew that. God's like, well, I'm going to be showing up in the flesh for a few millennia, so I better have this whole army of people. And so for people to say, well, you can get prophetic training over a weekend and whatnot, uh-uh, that, that's, not, that's cheat sheet. That's crib notes. Cliff notes. That's not education. Just like what it takes for you to be able to speak for your family, for your mom. You can't speak for your mom as a three-year-old, but you can speak for your mom as a 10, 12, 15-year-old, but not, maybe not with understanding. Get wisdom. And with all you're getting, get understanding. In other words, know what you're talking about. Know that, you can, that something is standing under what you're calling your divine communication. So all of this here was really for us to get to a point that we can know him. Prophets cannot be prophets. Now, we can have prophesiers. Let's make that distinction. But prophets cannot be prophets ignorant of the voice or the thought of the prophecy. You've got to know, don't, you must know your God. God took how many years to get Moses to know him? Forty. After the first 40, where he misunderstood the educational path, it didn't say go kill your opposition. Because, see, Moses wasn't thinking about leaving Egypt. He was thinking about changing Egypt. He wasn't thinking about getting rid of um, getting the, his people free as a nation. He wanted to free them as a people. So, again, we talked earlier about what motivates you, what's motivating you. Peter couldn't get it right because he never agreed with what Jesus said was his mission, his commission, his purpose, and his end. He couldn't. He just he couldn't. And, and you have people like that. People will be on your team, and they just can't get it. And they'll either leave or they'll keep perverting. Judas left. Peter did the best he could. Bless his heart. But he couldn't let Jesus be who Jesus said he should be because he needed Jesus to be what he craved God to send to rescue his people. Because Peter wasn't thinking about what? I mean, if, if he if, listen. If you sent Moses and now you come, clearly we're getting out of the Roman Empire. Clearly that's what this is all about, isn't it? We're getting ready to bring those Roman kingdoms down, subdue it. But see, Jesus did some wonderful things. But when we look at his moves, we think that Jesus' moves is to do or undo what we let happen. That's not going to happen. He said, now we're going to come and help you. Send you a couple of angels, a few angels, maybe a couple of, you know, hosts of angels. We'll give you some. The Holy Ghost is going to give you some strength. He's going to strengthen you. Okay? But in the end, you did it. You must fix it. Because fixing it is not just moving the people. Fixing it requires, this is why it's so, so damnable to let things get in, 
into people's psyche because fixing it involves getting it out of people's souls, getting it out of their consciousness. That the death of the oppressor will not handle. Change laws. See, change laws, change government, and people who are backing the change because they weren't around for its predecessor. Speaking to you? So we, so we want to get out there and do all of the, again, this external stuff. We want to do all of this external stuff and say, hey, we're making it happen. And Jesus is saying, no, that is not the problem. The problem, the, the fact that they are doing what they're doing is because of the engine that is driving them. And that engine is motorizing what they really feel and believe should be right. Case in point, and I, and I want you to check this out. When Jesus said, now is the prince of this world cast out, now is the rule of this world cast out, everybody thought, oh, that's the end of Satanism. That's the end of devil. That's the end of de- demonism. Jesus said, no, 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 that's not it. Because he just needs to have a whole rash of new people get pregnant and reproduce the same thing. Then you have uh, the folks who argue with us, and they say, well, you said that, that the devil is cast out, and yet we still hear. No, no. We didn't say he was going to be cast out of the planet. We said he was going to be cast out of the human soul. So, and that he would be replaced by the spirit of Jesus Christ. So Satan caught on quickly. He, he hurried up and shut that, that evangelism down. He hurried up and perverted it. He hurried up to do all of that because he understood that the way he got in human through Adam's seed, Jesus is about to put himself in human and evict Adam's seed. Bringing us to 1 Corinthians, um, I believe it's 2 Corinthians, trying to remember them all today because they're jumbling today like never before because I'm so full. I want to use all the scriptures they want. I probably could if I could speak that fast and sort them that clearly. But then it brings us back to the weapons of our warfare. Second Corinthians 10, is it? Or first? You know, I kind of flip them. Yeah, it's second. You know why First Corinthians 10 is about the wilderness, Jesus killing folks, and that rock that followed them was Christ. 10. So for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for pulling down strongholds. And so we think strongholds are brick towers. That's not what Jesus is dealing with. He's dealing with people's passions, loves, convictions. We have to pull those strongholds down because they are literally the, the kiln that is form, forging their belief system and their value system. So he say, oh, if you want me to learn my word, and so we have prophets who are prophesying by whatever voice they hear and claiming it to be Jesus because they have purported themselves as Christians. Isn't that good to know? And so when you think about it, um, if you look up here on this, um, this who and what is God, and this is where we are. You cannot have an education in the prophetic and not be able to answer these questions. And these questions are how do I get to know him? 
He says we should know him. How do I do it? I read my Bible, and then I go and listen to Dr. Price, and I think, did I read my Bible? (laughs) Did you read your Bible? (laughs) I read that passage. I got underlined, highlighted with different colors. How did that happen? Well, that is why you need teachers. That is why 1 Corinthians 12, 28 says, first apostles, secondarily prophets, and next teachers. Because we have to teach you the experiences and the encounters and excursions that made us who we are to Jesus Christ. And ratify it with his word. And then clarify it with interpretations and applications and all of that. So, yeah. Reading your Bible, most people will tell you, well, this, uh, I don't read the Bible because I don't know what it's talking about. I come and I put one verse up there on the screen, this one, and you all are like, wow. And that one passage that you already had underlined and highlighted, and then you had a sticky in there with your note. <laughs> you have a sticky with your note. <laughs> No, you're just going to take it off the page. All right. Okay? So my job is to tell you how to know him and then to lead you and guide you to the past and the passages that make that happen. And then how to treat him. Right now, people are treating God terribly. Now, they don't think so. They think that they're sharing his liberty because in their mind, the liberty of the flesh is what God had in mind. Think about over the last several decades how often we've been told God doesn't require that. It doesn't take all of that. Everything that the the modern Christian seems to want to present about God is diminishment, is exemption. Yeah, because, see, because it's done by the Holy Spirit, it doesn't have to be done in the natural. But that's a lie because Jesus, by the Spirit, said, let there be. And we're still running on that. He said, let there be light. And it said the Holy Spirit was brooding. And light came. And we're still at light. We're still at the element. We're still at that. But, but, but the, Satan likes to use, make you a, a poor thinker until he can make you a non-thinker. So he uses the illogical and irrational And he ties it into your passion, enthusiasm, and your ego so that eventually you'll stop thinking and you'll only live by your feelings. The first emotion and sentiment that comes up in every situation is the final decision maker, the final judgment. How to entreat him. These are people that just say any old kind of thing to God and just tell them, well, I'm sorry, you got to do it. First of all, anybody who ever taught you that you can tell God he's got to do something, I want you to write me and tell me how you make him do it. How are you going to make him do it? Where does he live? What's his email? Does he have a website? What's the download? Where's the suggestion box? Where are the powers that you're going to do, that going to use to compel him to do what he's not inclined to do? I mean, the planet is full of people that God just didn't feel like doing it. You didn't save my mother. 
And only thing is that God just doesn't tell you. Because he's not working on extending your mother's life if that's what he if that's what didn't happen, he's working on you facing the fact that there are things you don't control. And there are things you can't make him do. And if he doesn't want to do it, you can't punish him for not doing it other than hurt yourself. So then you go out and get on drugs, and you go out and get hooked up on, uh, on tranquilizers, and you go out and get, get, start acting like you're just a piece of trash. You go out and let your base yourself. And God is like, and how's that hurt me again? Because I'm trying to figure out how's that hurt me. Jesus is like, better than that, how is that bringing your mama back? Instead of trying, building such a relationship with God that he can soften the blows of life. See, there are a lot of blows God can soften, if he could be honest. God can't even tell you not to wear those ratty jeans. And yet you think you're going to force him to keep your mama alive. Did you like that? He can't tell you not to not to uh, not to go out looking like you're a vagabond because he knows that the the founder of that fashion is a vagabond spirit, and a vagabond fashion will end up bringing a nation into a vagabond state of existence like today. That's a vagabond spirit. That's the Cain spirit. So how you treat God and treating him. It's not going to make all of your prayers come to pass, but I can safely project that when, you, when God is content, he's popping out blessings left and right. You have his ear. You have audience with him. You have his heart. You can change his mind only because you are invaluable to his experience. Wow. You're delightful to his experience. So if your mama's going to die, he's going to tell you three years in advance. Now, listen, in three years I'm going to take your mother because blah, blah, blah. And, and, and he'll say, if they struggle, he said, because they're asking me. It never dawns on all these people who get mad at God for their loved ones going home, especially those who have suffered for extended periods of time. It never crossed your mind that they are praying too, and they may not be praying your prayer. They may be saying, Lord, I'm tired. God, so long. I can't breathe. All my dignity is gone. My, what, did, what, what did he say? All my, what did Job say? My bowels are loose. My stomach is not holding anything. I'm shaking all the time. And you would rather watch them right away in that situation of indignity than to say, God, help relieve my loved one from this burden. Please, Lord, and give me the grace to let them go. Instead of praying all those prayers, go and put your hands on them and, if, and say, God, if it's their time, do not let them have a prolonged illness. Do not let them, Lord, don't impose it. So, and, and when family members come in and acting up, get out. You know, Jesus put people out when death is on, on Jesus, He put them out. Get out. We don't need this because you're not laying up here. Tubes are not running in every orifice of your body. You're not hearing the bing and the ting, blink, 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 of your life fading away. You're not doing that. You're not living this. And if you can't live it, then let it go. And so God is like, no, no, I'm not doing that. He told me three years. Okay, your mother's getting ready to get out of here. Now, I didn't know it was going to be three years. But he told her. I'm coming back for you in three years. Get your house in order. He told her. Now, you don't know what God said to people. You're having all your mouth and all your theological bullhorn telling everybody, okay, 
Yeah, you just, but the Bible say and the scriptures say and da 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 because you're dealing with a theology, you're dealing with a religion, you're dealing with a doctrine, and meanwhile, the, your loved one is de- dealing with the supreme being. And he told me, he said, your mother's going to leave, get ready for it, prepare yourself, prepare your brothers and sisters. Then when it came down to the point that it got closer to her, we stopped talking. I would venture to say that if you are God's beloved and you're behaving as a beloved, he's going to tell you what the outcome is going to be. But what you'll do is you'll go to your preacher, you'll go to your favorite prophet, you'll go everything that will literally contradict what the Lord said. Instead of knowing those who know their God will be strong and do great exploits for him. So when my mother, I just was stunned that she died on me. I said, Jesus, could you not? Okay, six hours earlier, a day earlier. Jesus, why? Now, I wish I could tell you that the answer, he hasn't answered yet. See, that's one of them sovereign prerogatives. And God has those. I don't want to answer you. And you can't make me. <laughs> because I'm God. I don't, I don't want to answer you. I, I don't want to tell you what, why I did what I did. And sometimes, like Jesus said uh, to, the, um, to the apostles, he said, but sometimes he'll say, but you can't bear the answer. That's a burden you can't carry. Yes. And then if you are his beloved, you say thank you for covering me like you do with your children. There are certain things you don't tell your children because you know they can't handle it. They can't bear the burden of that answer. Yes. So how do you entreat him? How do you behave when he, when you go to him, God, you've got it. He doesn't need you to quote scripture. I never forget. I went to God, man. I was so, I was 20 seconds in the Word of Faith movement. And I mean, I mean, me and God, we were rolling. We were so close. It was unbelievable. All, right, all of that. So I go, and I went to church, and I found out, if you just, just give the word back to him. So I did. So he didn't say anything for a long time. And then all of a sudden, I'm ready, because I'm, I've mastered it now. I said, and your word said, and the Bible said, and the so-and-so, and he cut across me sharper than a knife. And he said, two things. I also said, and I don't need you to tell me what I wrote. I wrote, and he let me know, I wrote for you what I'm going to do, not for you to remind me. So I was like, okay. So then later on, I've come across Isaiah, and it said, give him no peace till he established. He said, when you get a prophecy, you work that prophecy. But you don't make me the whipping boy of your Bible and your verses. He said, because I have a, a, and I love Jesus, you know, he said, I have a verse that will counteract every verse I said. And if you don't have this Holy Spirit to bring you into context, it doesn't work. And if he's made a problem in his mind, he's not doing something, I poor Moses. Moses made, you know, one mistake. And he, 40 years later, so most high, I hear we got one into Jericho soon. Yeah, matter of fact, Moses, I was about, I was interested in talking to you about that. <laughs> I was just, you know, but since you brought it up early, let's go ahead. So, so here's what I want you to do. You're not going in the promised land because I told you you weren't going because you didn't hallow me. But I need you to go over there and go over there in that tabernacle and anoint Joshua and inaugurate him in your place. Because not only are you not going in the promised land, you're not staying on the planet. But you're still my guy, you know? You're still my guy. I'm just getting a new go-to. 
Moses, but I just I just want to see it. I mean, can I at least? I mean, yeah, you can see it. Go on over this mountain over here that you're going to die on. It's nearby. It gives you a good view. <laughs> and then after you've looked, he said, then go someplace else and die. And I'm thinking, man, Jesus, you mean something, you mean it. And that's what his church doesn't know. See, the church thinks because they appear to have overturned what God wanted, and this is not every case, they appear to, they think God overturned it, or not that demons maneuvered it. And humans just use their own human will. Jesus said, people will bless you if you do good for yourself. That doesn't mean it's us. And you have to ask, because if it's not God, it's short-lived. Or it's perverted by the person who couldn't, couldn't bring you enough roses and flowers, couldn't give you enough of what you asked for, is now whooping on your butt every day. And you're getting beat up over burnt toast. See, that's not God. God didn't answer that prayer. Man answered that prayer. Devils answered that prayer. Because God said, I'm not going to give you something that's going to beat up my beloved unless you force the issue. And then how to believe him. Again, people do not understand what it means to believe God. Here's the funny thing. When I studied the word belief, and it takes you all the way back to the word leaf, L-I, I think it's L-I-E-F-E, maybe reverse. But, and that word means life. That means believe means to literally become the life that you are believing. Not just believe in God, but become God's life in the flesh. People don't know that. And then how to get close to him, boy, oh, boy. How, how many times, how do, you get God, how do you get God to talk? How do you get him to answer? And whatever, I said, let me tell you something. When you snuggle up to the Lord, he never shuts up because he's God. He's talking to the whole planet and the whole world at the same time. So he, you can, sometimes you can hear him because he's talking to you, and then other times you overhear him because he's talking to somebody else and he's bringing you into a secret. Or he's giving you, he's letting you hear how he's handling a situation that does not directly affect you, but you may have to speak on down the line. You have fun. She's jumping all by herself over here. <laughs> so when so when you start talking about getting close to God, when God says He He reveals. Psalm 25, he reveals his secret to the righteous and to those who trust him. He's got all of these. He tells you why he'll do it. And he'll, first of all, give you a whole lot of things to see if you're going to blab it out. So what, and once you blab the wrong thing, he won't tell you you messed up. He just stops talking. Or, you, or either he continues talking, but he shuts your hearing faculty down. So you no longer hear him speak to you. Or if you do, you hear the Holy Spirit giving you direction and instruction, the end. All of this stuff that are, that's near and dear to his heart, he just hides it because he knows that you're going to tell secrets that's going to jeopardize something he needs to get done. And that's a case-by-case situation. I can't really give you parameters for that because it's really a case-by-case situation. Like, He'll, there, there's a season where he'll tell you, go tell, go tell, say, 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 whatever. And then there's a se- season where you say, I felt, you know, led of the Lord to share. And then there's a season when you want to say something and you, he, you, he, he goes, you, 
you know, you like, mm-mm. but if you're one of those people who will not respond to that yank, then he knows that you're one who is going to tell secrets out of season. Don't y'all love it? And then how to be trusted by him. Well, I think I just covered that, you know. And another way of being trusted by God that you should recognize is God tests you to see two things, how long you'll obey, these are these when you, when you get tired of obeying, and then how quick you are to do what he wants, his way. Most people will do what God told them to do their way. And then they'll say, but this is how God told me to do it. Now, he got seven people doing it a whole other way. You're the only one doing it different. That should be cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo-cuckoo. <laughs> however God made you and your Adamic self has nothing to do with how he recreated you in your Christ self. And the fact that you have to keep doing things different from how the people do it to show up means two th- couple of things. Number one, you want to stand out. You want everybody to know that you did it. Number two, you want to get credit for it, and you want to show everybody how you're the one that got it done and everybody else was being, you know, they were following the herd and they were doing what they want. And then another point is that you are operating out of such a brokenness that it is not acceptable for you not to garner all the credit and all the applause and all of the accolades. Because God's people, he had 12 apostles, they all had to do it the same way. Even the devil. Because when you understand that God uses multiple people to do single ventures and projects. So, now, you're like, that's not a big deal. Yes, it is when you want God to use you in bigger and better things and he ignores you. And he passes over you. And he'll pass over you because God is looking for a product for a specific purpose to meet very specific conditions and situations. So if you're the one that's always going to be um, odd one out, I'm sorry, but that's how he gave me. That means you're going to keep, you are a strifeful person, and you love keeping contention going because to you, contention and competition are essential to your success and your environment. Companies have this all the time. Can you not follow instructions? Did, did we not send you? Did you get the hand out? Did you? And you know what? And you tell them, yeah, but I was moving by a different thing. And they're like, well, just move on. Mm-hmm. Keep them moving. We'll move you out of your position. We'll move you out of that job. We'll keep moving. Why? Because you're disruptive. You are the person who wants to change what the head thought as a part of the body makes you spasmatic. Mm-hmm. So people can't get done because you're out there. You're late. You're cre- recreating the vision. You're late. You can't even get the thing in on time because you're up late. Then when you get there, you can't deliver because you're tired and you're blurred and all of that. But the whole point of God's world is cooperation. All of us have an operative part to play. But can we coalesce those operations so that every member is doing their share in season, in out, in order, in sequence? Because the reason creation fractured was because Satan broke order. That's what disorder means, dis, broke, order. When you feel you need to do that, you're breaking order, and you're not getting that instruction from the Lord. Lastly, how to be used by God. I think I just answered that. What do you think? I think. 
I think I just answered that. So when we look at it, where where does it all come from? God's word. And I use this often. God's word. All of this is in his word. So for you to have a prophetic education that excludes scripture is for you to be trained by a polytheistic program. And therefore, you're running on idolatry instead of God's fidelity, which is why you're on again, off again, get a little Jesus, don't have Jesus, get a little, okay, so, and they're bringing you, before you even learn the, the, the text of creation, the scriptures, they're having you read all kinds of other books, so why? They can shatter or fracture that one-mindedness that you need. To represent God 24-7, his way on his turn. When I was coming up, I was fascinated by a whole lot of things. If I told you some of, well, some of those books are here. You know what he told me? I need you to put all of that away to learn how I think first. How are you going to judge for me when you can't filter for me? He said, because after a while, because Satan's smart. He's going to give just enough truth. Does anybody hear me? Just enough truth to make you think that there's no difference between God and him make you susceptible to other religions and other revelations. So I, I, in a dream, I was really having fun. And I'm, in a dream, God brought me to heaven. And when I went to heaven, I was in their chambers, 24 elders, and in the middle of the floor on a pedestal. He said, you see this? You're going to know this. Go, and he let me know over top, pack all of that up. Because you will never be an accurate judge for me until you are a purely purged judge. And right now, you can't filter because all of those readings, and he told me, they all have spirits attached to them. They all have anointings. Those authors are all anointed just like I am, just like you are. You just don't know what they're anointed by. And I want you to remember that if you don't first learn the constitution of the kingdom, then you cannot really dissect the constituents of the kingdom versus the constituents of the world. And see, since Satan has all these different gods doing the writing and doing the whatever, because now I was in all of that, um, since he, he has much and God has one, we are duped into thinking one is substandard and inferior to all of Satan's multitude. Remember, Babylon had 20-something thousand deities. That's a lot of deities to learn. When he brought Daniel to Babylon, said he had to learn all of the writings of the Chaldeans. That was a lot. So God said, I think it's simpler for you to just learn me, and then I'll tell you everything else. So I do have Bibles, but he wouldn't let me. For five years, all I could read was the Bible. I couldn't read all that other stuff. Lastly, in our thing, we're going we're gonna to start moving into prophetic intelligence. What is prophetic intelligence? Well, it's in this book. Has anybody ran across it? Of course not. Amen. <laughs> but it is a whole section in this book on prophetic intelligence. Hey, we had a good time. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget, we kick off next week at Tulsa. Prophetic Training Institute here at the Embassy in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are ready to get started. You're going to love our facility. 
You're going to love the things that we've done. We have special things for you. Don't forget that we are also celebrating Wednesday night. Yeah, as we celebrate entering into our miracle. We, you know, we stepped in. We stepped in. Join us. And if you haven't um, made up your mind, do so today. You hear what we're teaching. You hear how we've gotten it. You hear the fruit. You know, I like the fruit. Fruit, hold up your hand. There you go. <laughs> see, did you see that? Others would have been irritated and arrogant. She's cooperative. You have got to learn how to be cooperative and not quite so independent and individualized that we can't know when we can count on you and when we can't. You will never rise if people don't know whether they can count on you or not. You will also never rise if people have to be on eggshells around you. We don't know when we're going to be. I'm not the woman for the job. You know, I'm just not the woman for that attitude. So if you want to be used, then you're going to have to take all that it requires to get along with people to build trust and reliability. You've got to do that. And people have to know that they can count on you. That we and that you're the same, you know, almost like Jesus, yesterday, today, and forever. We don't know who's showing up Monday morning. I don't know who's going to close out the week on Friday. That is not going to get you where you want to be in the Lord. Is that good? Yeah. All right. Listen, share, 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 and, well, go share again after you share. And you can sow a seed because you, you know this is good stuff. You know this is good ground, and you know my spirit feeds you what you can't get anywhere else. And I don't say that arrogantly. I say that literally, triumphantly, because when I started out with God, I was like, God, I ain't going to make it. <laughs> I know I'm not going to make it, Jesus. I'm not. And he, yet here we are. Join us. Um, many of you will start coming in Sunday for Sunday service. Is that right? For Sunday service. So I'm thrilled about that. I pray traveling mercies on you. For those of you who are still fighting to get the income or the time off, I I rise up in my authority and I rise up in my position and I ask God to give you favor with your supervisors and favor with your coworkers so you can switch some things around because you need to be here. And then I summon the spirits of provision and providence in your life and let people come and say, I'll buy your ticket. I'll pay for your hotel room. I'll see to it that you eat. I'll share with you. I'll ride with you in the car, and I'll share the, the gas. Because sometimes, many times you just need somebody to pray. You need a stronger man. Well, I'm the stronger woman. And so I'll see you here next week. Until then, have a great weekend. And don't forget, if you're in the Tulsa area, come on over to the embassy on 31st Street here in Tulsa. In, uh, yeah, it is Tulsa still, right? Okay, still Tulsa. Not in Vixie, because you know, Abba. And so come and join us. And next week, be ready to have a blast in the Holy Ghost. God bless you. Think differently and live powerfully. I like that little fashion music, though. (laughs) I like that little sassy music. You know, people, and I'll say this to you, people have to teach.